This podcast is part of the Eat Geek Play Network. For more podcasts about comic books, music, and geek lifestyle, go to eatgeekplay.com. You you need to experience more. It isn't enough to want to write novels and only read novels. You know, you need to read plays and short stories and go to the theater and go to the movie. If you want to write comics, you're not going to learn how to write good comics only from reading comics. You damn well better go out there and read some Hemingway. Figure out what makes a short story work. You can hate Hemingway, but you need to understand why there are people who love him. This is not a terminal knowledge profession. This is a profession that requires constantly aspiring to be better than the thing you did before. Welcome back to Creative Spaces. My name is Kevin Knight. Now, when I started this podcast, I made a list of people that I wanted to talk to. On the top of that list, today's guest, Greg Rucka. Now, this is the part where I usually give you some background information about today's guest. Well, I really shouldn't have to. He's written some incredible comic books. Gotham Central, The Punisher. His ongoing series, Lazarus, is fantastic. His new book from Image, Black Magic, looks amazing. He's been nominated for 15 Eisner Awards. In 2010, he won a GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Comic Book. He writes novels and even video games. His current video game project, Ark, The Great Escape, a serialized video game that you can download on Steam. And if that's not enough for you, Rucka entered the Star Wars universe with Journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Shattered Empire number one. If you go over to eatgeekplay.com forward slash Amazon, you'll find a link to all of Greg's best books. If you buy them through there, you help out this podcast. Now here's this week's interview with Greg Rucka. I'm Greg Rucka. I'm a writer of comics and novels and other things. And, And Greg, where do you call home? I call home Portland, Oregon. Okay. Did you actually grow up in Portland or did you move? No, I grew up uh, on the central uh, coast of California. I was born in San Francisco, but I grew up in uh, the Salinas Valley, uh, Salinas Monterey. Um, Those were my my stomping grounds uh, until I went to uh, Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, And then I did my graduate work at USC. And then moved up to Oregon uh, to Eugene, uh, where my wife was attending graduate school at the U of O. And we moved to Portland in 98. And you've been there ever since. Yep. It, it, it's, it seems like the home for just wayward comic book people. At it's a point. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful city if, if you work in comics, certainly. It's, it's, you know, it's arts-friendly. The cost of living, at least when we arrived, was very reasonable. Um, it's you know it rains a lot, which is good because you stay inside and work. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, you know, it, it is just. I, I love Portland. I, I adore this town. At what point in your life did you discover that you were a writer? Uh, that's hard, actually. I mean, I was writing early, um, but I was writing early because you know I was surrounded by books and I was surrounded by people who who wrote my mother was a journalist she trained as a journalist and and the sound of her electric typewriter is sort of you know the memory of my childhood i can remember vividly you know the echo of her you know pounding out 140 words per minute you know like a machine gun and ping you know as as the carriage return would hit so i i there was never a point in my life where i wasn't aware uh that people could write um 
And when you grow up around readers, you read. So, you know, I hadn't, I had been writing, you know, I, I was writing, you know, I think in like fourth or fifth grade, I, I, I wrote some short story that got me out of school for a day because it won a contest and I had to go to like an awards luncheon. And that was pretty cool because I got to skip school. And, you know, I remember vividly, you know, in high school, you know, sophomore, junior year, sitting in the back of my English class and, you know, writing, you know, this torturous novel longhand in my notebook, you know, that I spent, you know, months and months and years just filling. But <clears throat> it really wasn't until I think I was in college um, that I sort of realized, you know, this is the thing I've been doing all along. There had been other interests I'd per pursued. I'd, I'd uh, pursued theater um, quite a lot. Um, but I think there was, there was a point somewhere about my junior year of college where I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, this is the thing I keep doing. And I sort of made a deal with myself. I was like, all right, well, you know, if I'm going to try to do this professionally, then I'm going to give myself you know, 10 years, 15 years. I'm going to give myself until I think I told myself I would give myself until I was 30. But you get published by the time I was 30, then I would take it as a sign that I was on the right track. And if I couldn't, I would take it as a sign that the universe was telling me perhaps I should try my hand at something else. So uh, I got very fortunate. You know, I sold my first novel at 22. Wow. So 24. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was quite young. Um, and you know, through thick and thin and good times and bad, I've been able to make a living as a professional writer ever since. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's work, you know, it's my job, but I'm fortunate that I got to choose the job. At what point did you figure out like, Oh, I, I can make a living at this. At what point? Um, I think... I mean, arguably, you could say it was the first selling the first novel, but it was a long road to get there. I mean, and we had been desperately poor before before I got that deal. Um, I think it really didn't manifest for me until about the time I was finishing up my third novel, and um, and and comics had started to open up for me as well. And I was like, okay, you know, I can keep busy enough at this. This is what I'm doing that it was clear to me that if, if I could keep lining up the work, then, yeah, then, then we were going to be okay. Um, but it's weird, you know, I, I don't know any writer who, who says there was this particular moment when they were like, I am a writer, that's it. it it's, well, it, I don't it, think there's ever that moment, but I think there's like that kind of point where you go, okay, I, 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 I can do this as a living and not have to worry you know, and, and not have to, to, to like, I'm not struggling to do my craft anymore. I'm actually getting paid for it and make, able to, to, to not work a nine to five job. And like, like you said, you, you were, you know, piss broke before you yeah. sold your first novel. Well, but I mean, look, I, I worry about money today. There's always concerns about, you know, where's the next, next check coming from and, you know, how are we going to pay for this? And like I said, I've got two kids, you know, so, you know, somebody needs shoes and this and that and the other thing. But I think, you know, for, for my own purposes, yeah, I would, I would have to say it was probably, you know what it was? It was probably because my initial novel deal was a two book deal and it was after the second 
when we negotiated the next deal that I was like, okay, this is this is the start of a career. This is a real thing. Now, how did you make the transition from writing novels to comics? Had you always wanted to write comics, or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think uh, I, I think there had been points where I had been more actively pursuing it than others. But when I was in college, you know, I tried writing a comic for a friend of mine to draw. You know, we got an issue into that before he threw up his hands and said, "This is too much work." Um, but I never really looked at one particular discipline um, as the only discipline. You know, uh, saying I'm a writer is to me a little bit like saying, well, I'm a storyteller, so I should, in theory, have a mastery enough of the craft that I can tell the story in whatever medium is going to suit the story best. Um, you know, writing a novel is very different than writing a comic. They're just very different animals, and then you have to use an entirely different skill set. Writing a screenplay is uh, much more similar to... Uh, you know, to writing a comic than it is to writing a novel. But again, it's a different skill set. They're not the same. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I I was inclined towards comics early. Um, and when the opportunity came to actually write my first, that meaning that the first that I knew would, you know, be published, God willing, um, I think I was ready, you know, I, I, and, and it had been a medium that I had studied. Um, you know, I, I had, I'd been reading it forever and, uh, and you don't read comics, you know, and not learn something about them, you know, if you're paying oh, yeah. any attention at all. So what was it like for you when you got that first comic book gig? Um, it was wonderful. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just fantastic because it was, uh, I had been chasing it for a while. Uh, I had actually chased it probably about as long as I had been chasing trying to find, you know, a publisher for, for my prose. Um, I, you know, I would go to San Diego and, you know, I would bring my novels around and I would talk to editors and I was, you know, desperately trying to get an introduction. And that ultimately led to Oni Press and, and, uh, and doing Whiteout with Steve Lieber there. And that in turn led to, you know, a door opening at D.C., and getting a chance to write Batman, and pretty much there's been no going back since then. Sometimes, as try as I might to extract myself from comics, there's been no way to sort of get free. So it's like once you're in, you're in. Yeah, it, it, to a great extent. I mean, you can you can really screw the pooch. Don't get me wrong. You know, you can you you can you can sabotage your career. Um, but you know, I mean, if 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 you're professional and if you're reasonably good and you know if you are a hard worker you will be able to find the work once you're in when i when i started you know i was able to you know i was able to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the guys who were forming oni press because i knew somebody who knew them and that person had read my novels and was like you should talk to this guy um, that may still work, but if somebody comes to me and says, how do you know, how'd you break into comics? I say, I wrote three novels first. Do you think it, it was the, the novels that brought you to, or was it just the novels that you was what you felt comfortable doing first to pursue comic books? Oh, I think I had, I, I, I was working in prose initially, you know, I okay. think uh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought, uh, comics hadn't been the terminal goal, but the terminal goal, it started been to be a novelist. 
I knew the kind of novels I wanted to write and, and I was going to try to set about doing that. And that then opened up or reopened the possibility of the comics. Um, and when that opportunity came, I was like, oh, hell yeah. You know, how, 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 how can I pass that up? Um, and that, in turn, like I said, led to DC. And when somebody says, well, do you have any interest in writing Batman? You say yes, um, because it's Batman. That's, it's got to be like somebody asking you to write Star Wars. Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, and you know, I'm fortunate with the Star Wars stuff because you know, the guy who's heading that up uh, for Lucasfilm right now is, is uh, an editor that I worked with at DC for many years. Uh, and you know, when the opportunity came, he reached out to me and he, and, and he reached out at a very good time and he said, would you be interested in this? And I was like, well, of course I would, you know, <laughs> how could you say no? And you didn't he, even have to think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, he said, star Wars, Han Solo, Chewbacca. And I was like, yes, I'm there. <laughs> you know, I am there. Um, and, and for all of that. You know, I mean, it's it's important, I think, to to remember that as exciting and wonderful as it is, and it is. It's also, you know, I mean, this is this is my job, and 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 it has to be approached with a degree of professionalism and balancing that with the stars in the eyes wonder of being able to write. Batman or Spider-Man or, you know, anything Star Wars is, is sort of a trick. It's interesting, you know, and, and it comes, uh, it becomes very evident with the Star Wars stuff, actually. You know, there is an element where it's like, you know what, this is, this is business. And, and it's got to be, for all of the cool that is inherent in it, it's, it's, it's got to be treated like a job. We've got to do this professionally. Um... And that, you know, that, that's something that even, you know, after, after working professionally for 20 years, you know, I have to remind myself of. Take me through your, your normal work day. Well, ideally, uh, and it changes depending on the season, actually. Um, in summer, the schedule is just shot for the most part because in summer, the kids, the kids are around and that, that can be really disruptive to to my work day. There are times when my work day looks like um, I get up around 10 in the morning and I go for a run and I come back and I get myself cleaned up and I have my breakfast and I deal with all the correspondence and phone calls that I have to deal with uh, until basically the kids are home from school and then I'm with the kids and then I go into the office around 9 at night and I work until about between two and four in the morning and I rinse and repeat. Um, because between, you know, about 10 at night and four in the morning, nobody's calling me. Um, so I am assured, you know, on uninterrupted work time. Um, there are other times when, you know, my work day looks like I'm getting up at six. Um, I am, you know, going for a run, I am sitting down to get to work by eight. Uh, I work until you know noon. I'll take a break for about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, I'll work again through dinner time, 
uh, and depending on deadline or schedule, I may work again that evening, or I may say, you know, that's enough. There are times when the work requires extra hours um, because it's got to be done. Uh, it's on a deadline or complications have arisen that require it to be done, you know, in a, in a speedier fashion. Ideally, I spend about six hours a day writing. Um, I find that for the most part, if I push it much, much past six, unless I'm really locked in, my brain just starts to fry. Um, there is, I think, a myth, you know, in, in the pop culture of the writer's life is, just, you sit down and you just do it, and the muse comes to you. And, you know, anybody who has had to do... You, you remember when we would, you know, when we were all in school and we had to take finals, and we would come out of finals and we'd be exhausted... You know, yeah. me mental exertion it has a physical cost. And if you, you know, and there comes a point of diminishing returns. Sometimes you got to stand up and walk away. You know, today I worked all morning fighting with this thing. And at about one in the afternoon, I had hit a point of frustration. I was like, I'm going for a walk. You know, I went for a walk for about an hour came back, sat back down, had cleared some things up, was able to move forward. Um, and ironically, you know, the whole reason I was late for this call is because I was wrestling with something else and I completely lost track of the time. Um, so, you know, a normal work day isn't, you know, the, 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 the thing that is consistent is your ass goes in the chair and you write. But, you know, depending on day to day and what's needed, uh, that could be, like I say, you know, nine to five, or it can be, you know, nine at night to four in the morning. Um, I do try to maintain a regular schedule when I can, but uh, as I said, summer is particularly hard for that. How do you stay on top of everything that you have to do? Cause you're, you're writing so much stuff between novels and comic books and video games and everything yeah. else. There's, yeah. uh, there's a lot going on in your world. How are you staying yeah. on top of all that? Um, things get prioritized, uh, and they get prioritized on the basis of what's on fire at any given moment. Frankly, that is the first question It's it's what's going to, what's going to suffer if this doesn't get in. Um, when I am clearer and the schedule is not crazy and right now it is, uh, but when it's not, I can work more methodically. I can sit there and I can say, okay, you know what I'm working on this week? I'm going to, this week I'm going to try to get. Uh, you know, two issues of Lazarus done so I can set them aside and come back to them in a week for revision. And then when I get done with that, I'll move on to the Dragon Age uh, comic. And when I get done with that, I'm going to, you know, move on to the novel outline. When I get done with that, I'm going to, you know, focus on uh, arc chapter four or whatnot. Um, but, and, and then there are other elements too. For instance, you know, we talk about arc, right, which is the, the video game that, you know, I, I worked on with, with Gato Salve. And, you know, the third chapter that just came out. And working on that has been, the, the studio's in Spain, you know. So, basically the lead on, on, on that game, Sergio Preto, 
and I, you know, we have a Skype call uh, every week. Um, and that Skype call is normally around nine-ish in the morning, my time, on Tuesdays. Uh, but sometimes it's around midnight <laughs> on Tuesdays uh, because he's in Spain and I can get him in the morning there, right? Yeah. And obviously that's not writing time in quotes, right? Calls with your editor are not necessarily, you know, quote unquote, writing time, except all of it is because all of that goes into the process. All of that feeds in, you know, that's grist to the mill. And one of the ways that I write, and this is my, you know, this is, this is, this is just how I work. I tend to need to talk things through. Um, I know writers who blanch at the thought of that, that they need to just sit down and, and write it. But for me, especially if it's particularly complicated, I need to hear myself talking about it. I need to hear myself trying to articulate it to, to someone else, to my editor, to my friends, to my, to my spouse, just so I can get the feedback and just so I can hear it aloud. And that is, you know, that's a fundamental part of the process for me. It doesn't, it isn't necessary on everything I do. Uh, but on, on, on more projects than on not, the need to actually be able to verbalize it is pretty crucial to me. Are you a, like a copious uh, note taker? Are you always jotting down notes for, for your ideas? Like when you're talking with editors or is it just kind of like it's trapped oh, up there and waiting for it to, I've tried, man. I, I, I wish I was a better note taker. You know, I, I have tried to keep the notepad in my pocket and the pen and there have been stretches of weeks and months where I've been able to do it. But very rarely do I find um, very rarely do I find that that's productive for me. Uh, I tend to more often than not hold all these pieces in my head. Um, and, and they sort of swim around and burble and some of them are in the back brain. You know, at any given time, you know, I'm writing one thing, but there's a portion of my head working on two or three other story problems at the same time. How do you feel those? I I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, it is it is the way that I work. So I'm not sure. I, I I suppose it sounds like a very messy attic or office, you know, with with things coming out of the drawers, and. And, and that may be exactly what it is to somebody who isn't me. But to me, there is, there is an order to it and a logic to it. I'll find that, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll have a moment of clarity about uh, a story. And I'll go, oh, 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 okay, write that down. You know, and I'll, I'll open up, say, the Scrivener document that I'm using for, for Lazarus or whatnot. And I will go, okay, here we go. And I'll just, you know, vomit it out. And it won't be the story. It'll be like this, 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 and this. Um, there are other times when, I mean, it is quite literally like, well, I've got an idea. And I know I want to do this thing. And I know I want to do that thing. And I don't know how I get from A to B. I just know what A is and what B is. Um, but I have no idea where the connective tissue is. And... I think that, at least for my purposes, if it's worked in the subconscious long enough, that will suggest itself. 
I tend to write a lot from, you know, I don't tend to write a lot from, I write from character. That's, that's, that's the way I've always worked. And if I know the people I'm telling the story about, then they will know what they want to do. Um, you know, my fourth novel, Critical Space, I went into it and I had this crystal clear idea of how this book was going to end. And I hit about the halfway point of writing that novel and the book went on strike. I mean, they just, all the characters sort of set down their tools and got up and walked off the job. And we're like, you are wrong. You know, that is not where this is going. And I, you know, I, for that one, I ended up taking two weeks off and having this rethink as I was trying to hear what the story was telling me where it wanted to go. And then once I realized that, you know, I had opened up, I, I was suddenly looking at whole new fields of research that had to be pursued. Um, the result is, I think, one of the best novels I've ever written. Um, so I think, you know, knowing how to listen to, to your story and your work is, is, is a learned skill, but it's a crucial one. Um, I never have gotten in more in trouble in my work than when I ignore the little voice in the back of my head. I'll be working on a novel and, and this has happened to me more times than I care to admit, and, you know, the little little voice in the back of my brain will go, nah, I'm not sure about that. And I will say, shut up, you, I'm working. And, you know, I'll pound out another 10,000 words and find myself suddenly with rubble, you know, in my hands and going, what the hell happened here? Is that how you equate your, your characters growing on strike? Was you, you weren't really listening to your to yourself where you really felt it should be going? No, I, I, I had taken them. I mean, we were all in agreement. <laughs> this sounds very. The voices in your head were all in yeah, agreement. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds very precious, but I don't have another way to put it. No, um, it makes sense to me. You know, ha the first half of that book was exactly what it needed to be. And then I was like, and then we're going to do this. And the characters are all like, no, we're not. Dummy. You know, I mean, think it through. And I kind of did. And I was like, oh, because I had been so focused on this ending I had in my head that I hadn't seen that it was not, you know, that it was not an obtainable ending, that, that to do it, I was going to have to break the characters. I was going to have to make them act in a way that wasn't true to themselves. And nothing kills a story faster. Then when you when you look at a character and you go, but that character wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, there's nothing that, that that'll take you out of it faster. Do you um, do you find writing comic books is the same kind of way where you always, especially when you're say you're working with Batman or Daredevil, where you have an idea, but you have to kind of also tailor it to that character specific. Well, but it goes the other way, right? I mean. You know, I've, I've always been fond of saying that, look, I can write Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman all, all foiling a bank robbery. E that's a different story for each of them. And it's not simply because of power set. It's because of character. It's because of how they approach it. You know, there is a different story in how each of them approach the exact same thing. That is entirely character-based. Um, so that, you know, when, when, you're, when you're writing these incredibly well-established characters, one of the things that you are working with is a long history of some very precise characterization. And then that is colored with your take on it. 
And ideally through that, and then again, I'm, I, I say you, I'm speaking for me. Um, that is filtered through my perception of it so that I'm less, you know, I'm less concerned about the plot at any given time than I am about the story because I think the story is the character's journey. So what does it mean for Batman to stop this bank robbery? Why is this bank robbery worth talking about is the more crucial question. What made this day different? Because we've seen him do it a thousand times before. Um, and that's what I mean, I guess, when I say that I, I tend to be a character-based writer. You know, I, I, I look at the, the question is always, what does it mean to them? I like to think of, you know, like with, with certain writers, there's, they really make, make you stand out when you take a character, say, like Punisher. I was, it was a character that I was always just uh, whatever about. And your run, I think, is one of my favorite runs of just a comic book, oh, thank you, you know, in a long time, because you made me care about Frank Castle when mm. I could care less about that character. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's one of those, I, I read the Zek run when it originally came out and stuff. Was that, was a series like that a challenge for you? Because here's a character that, you know, basically has a very thin storyline to it and for so long had been, you know, for lack of better words, you know, just, just kind of a one note character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in reading your book, it was like that if, if, if somebody had told me, you know, prior to me taking it that, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna write Punisher and you're gonna love it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I would have, you know, I, I think I would have pointed and laughed. That was Steve Wacker's fault. You know, he, Marvel, he, he called me up. He said, I think it'd be great for this. You know, and he said, no, no, I, I really want you to think about it. Cause I think you'd be great at this. And I gave it a really long think. And again, it was the character approach. It was because once you start taking, that's, that's the other thing incumbent in the job, right? Is that you've got to take it seriously. You can't write this stuff and wink and nod. You can't ever look at it and be like, this is silly. You know, it, the world can be as silly as it may be, you know, to, to, to the outside. But it is these characters' reality. Frank Castle is a real person in the Marvel Universe. That means you have to accept it. So the second you accept it, you have to start asking yourself, well, then how does it work? How does he make it work? How can he do this? You know, let's look at what he's up against. Look at the fact that he doesn't have these superpowers. Look at all of that. And then, you know, you open that box and there's some amazing stuff there. You go, this is a character that on one level is so beautifully simple. But that simplicity, you know, reveals uh, an extraordinary complexity, I think. And it's in that complexity that you find or that I found, you know, the real, the real wonder of him. Um, and, you know, I love, man, I loved writing him. I loved it. I, I was, I was stunned by how much I enjoyed it. I went into it and I just, I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can say something here. And it became the further in I went, the more I was like, no, no, you know, there is so much here. Do you enjoy it, that kind of a challenge? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I eat it up. I love it. Is, 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 do you feel like it's just more of a natural writer in you then to, to take a character like that and, and kind of turn, turn it on its side and make it a real character? 
Well, I mean, I think I think that's the kind of writer I guess, quote unquote, I am. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's my approach. The one of the first lessons I, I really learned when I'm, when I started to write seriously, when when I really really turned my head towards trying to master the craft, trying to understand what a story meant, what a story required, what a story was. One of the first lessons I, uh, I learned, and I learned it hard, was that look, you, can, you can write whatever you want, but it's got to be emotionally true, right? Yeah. You can set it however you like. You, know, you can make it about you know, you know, Billy the Happy Sheepdog, but if Billy the Happy Sheepdog's uh, emotion is not honest, then all it's ever going to be is Panama. It's just going to be moving pieces around and, you know, and, 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 and working on an implied uh, emotional resonance and connection. But the second that you can be honest, you know, that, that you find the truth of what you're talking about, you can tell a story about anything. And, and you know, we talk about Frank, right? And for me, the truth was this is a guy who had to make a decision. You know, there was... there there Because it's real easy, and this has also been my problem with some approaches to Batman. You know, you can't... Frank can't be crazy. If he's crazy, right, then none of these are choices, right? Nothing is done with deliberation. And in the same way that Batman's superheroism, his heroism, is a heroism of self-sacrifice, um, Frank's pathos is that he, you know, he hit a point where he said, I am going to do this thing. I will be the man who does it. And I will dedicate myself to it wholly. And in so making that choice, I willingly sacrifice everything else. I sacrifice all these other things. Because the only thing that will ever matter to me from this point on is going to be the mission. All right? It's not that I get off on killing people because I don't think he does. I think he takes satisfaction in doing the job well. Right? Yeah, but like I said, I mean, the second you start to think about who Frank Castle has to be, you find yourself in a real interesting place. You find yourself in a place where you go, "Here's a guy who can't afford to make any mistakes. Here's a guy who has to be so careful and so thorough and so smart about what he does, and to do that, he has to have abandoned anything else that might interfere or impair that in any way." You know, this is not a guy who goes, that was a great dinner. This is a guy who goes, I have taken the requisite calories for the day. Exactly. Uh, How do you get into the mindset of, of, of somebody like that? How do you get into that mindset? I don't know. I mean, like I said, you spend a lot of time thinking about it. And you ask yourself certain questions there. And then you find that they, they unlock certain things. You know, Frank's speech to, to, to Rachel about, you know, like I said, the, the, his, his conclusion is you're dead. You know, we are dead. And the dead don't get color. And they don't get music. And they don't get, you know, they don't get these things. But we get a purpose. 
that's it. That's the mission. And, you know, once I hit that chord, that was Frank Castle to me. That was a guy who was very deliberately moving through his life going, I am not making connections. I am not doing these things because I have to preserve myself for the mission. And that's what I, I loved so much about that book. You really brought in a human side to the Punisher, which I feel like, you know, there was always a character there. And we could talk about this for, <laughs> for Yeah, no, you can, we, look, you can, and, and, and ideally, I do my job well, you know, we can talk about that. We can talk like that about almost any character that I've worked Exactly. With. And that was going to be my question is, is I've, I've been told that you, you're really into research, that you'll, you'll research a lot of stuff, like, yeah. like, like almost to death. Yeah. What's yeah. your process for that? Oh, um, again, it depends on what I'm researching. You know, I think that, you know, research is, 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 is a question of picking, well, all, all writing, all storytelling is a question of the right detail at the right time. I, you know, if I'm writing about stuff that I don't know, it's incumbent upon me to at least write, at least learn enough so that I can write about it with some degree of authority or at least the appearance of authority. <laughs> um, you know, these days, you know, Google is a wonderful tool for beginning. You know, you can find almost any springboard online. Uh, as a matter of course, I always look for two sources, and I try to do an overview of whatever it is that I'm after. And then, you know, I'll go to the library. I'll start narrowing it down. I'll start chasing things down. One of the, one of the tricks that I learned early on was that if it's something that you know nothing about, like literally nothing about, if there's a kid's book on it, get the kid's book first. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, you want to read about mountain climbing? Find a kid's book on mountain climbing and start with that. You know? And I'm talking about, you know, here's a book for eight-year-olds about, you know, Billy the Mountain Climber. But that gives you your introduction. And then from there, you are able to build out and build up. That's a fascinating idea. I never um, thought about that. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, you can go straight to the encyclopedia, but I, you know, look, uh, I always, you know, primary sources are always best, if possible. Most people are very happy to talk about what they do, especially if they love what they do. Um, you know, but I've been known to walk down to the local fire station and say, so I'm working on a thing. By the way, here's a whole bunch of stuff that I've written, so you see I'm not a psycho. And... Uh, in this thing, I've got a guy who's dousing people with kerosene. And uh, how would the fire department respond to that? You know? <laughs> and, and, you know, you get a guy behind the counter who looks at you like you're an idiot. And it's like, um, all right, well, our procedure would be, and then you take notes, you know? Um, the wonderful thing about social media and with the following that I have managed to, to, to garner... Uh, mostly accidentally, is that, you know, the people who follow me are the people who like what I write. So I have, uh, on more than one occasion in the last couple of years, put a question out on Twitter. You know, I'm looking for the Russian word for this. Can anybody help me? And wow, people come back. And it's like, oh, my God, thank you. Um, you know, the latest issue of Lazarus that's going to be coming out you know, there's research in it that is the result of two people that I've never met uh, in person uh, have corresponded with only via email and met online. Uh, and their research was invaluable. How important to you is social media being a writer is for your public persona? Um, 
harder. That's a harder one. I there's a lot about it that I like, right? I I think that the ability to interact with uh, with the readership is is really crucial, and I do think it's part of the job. I think that there is some obvious dangers. You know, you can spend way too much time in that rabbit hole. You can get obsessed. You can get to a point where you are chasing references to yourself. And uh, I, for my purposes, at least, that's incredibly detrimental. Uh, I can't do that. Um, that said, I want to be able to engage with people who, you know, are are passionate about the material. I think that if nothing else, that's a courtesy, you know. Um, but there is there are dangers in that. I have encountered some extraordinary entitlement on Tumblr, for instance, where uh, you know I have been asked things where when I've tried to provide the answer, uh, I've been told that you know well that was you did that wrong, and it's like you know what my job isn't to write what you want, right? My job is to write the story I want to write, and if you want to read it, that's great. Um. But I actually have been, I've actually been wrestling with, I had something happen about a month ago that really bruised me, that I took a couple hours out of my day to try to respond to a specific reader, and, 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 and the return I got for it was uh, inflammatory and insulting. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, you know what, I mean, I, I, I was really offended. I was really offended. I mean, I took time to personally respond to this person and privately respond to them and explain stuff that I had no obligation to explain. None whatsoever. Uh, I mean, none whatsoever. I could have just as easily have said, hey, no, fuck you. Um, I, I mean, I literally took the time and, you know, the response to it, it was uh, incredibly hurtful. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's really... You know, I, I was like, well, you know, that that was, you don't have to like it. You know, you don't have to, you, you, nobody's ever obligated to buy anything I write. No. You know, you don't like it, fine. There's plenty of other good stuff out there, you know. Um, but to come back at me and to sort of say, well, you know, that is inadequate. It's like, you know what? You don't get to do that. That's not cool. I mean, I the fact that, that really you you took the the time to respond, I mean, and that's I think. Do you feel like that that's the problem with social media? Is you have to have a presence at this point. You you yeah. you are you're not just Greg Rucker the writer. You're Greg Rucker the 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 brand. You know. Yeah. Though though my brand management is not so radically different from who I am. You know, there are some people out there you know, who have a very specific public face and they're very good at it. They, they've cultivated that personality and, and to their audience, that is who they are. And, you know, for my own part, I'm not interested in playing that role. I am who I am. Um, I, you know, and it's funny because right now I'm in a big social media lull because I just don't have time. Yeah. I am I am under multiple deadlines right now and desperately trying to get stuff done. And as a result, you know, the Tumblr is pretty much fallow at the moment. Haven't really been posting Twitter. 
threw up a couple pictures on Instagram, which I don't actually view. Instagram is a totally different thing for me because Instagram really is much more personal. Yeah. You know, I mean, my, my there are fans who follow that feed and they're welcome to. Um, but far fewer are following me on Instagram than, you know, by by an order of thousands are following me on Twitter. So, um, but like I said, I, I think, you know, for many of us, not all of us, for, but for many of us who are working professionally, having a social media presence is now part of, is part of the professional requirement. We, we need to do it. Um, certainly publishers expect it. Like two hours ago, you brought up something. <laughs> uh, you use Scrivener. Yeah. What made you use that? I mean, I love Scrivener. I think it's it's a great program. Um, you're the first writer that I've talked to that actually uses it. Oh, I um, I love Scrivener, especially for long form. Uh, I, one of the things I love about Scrivener is the ability to... You know, I mean, it's a, it's it's a binder. I mean, that's that's the model for it. And I love being able to have this binder and to say, I'm putting this here, and I'm putting this here, and I'm putting this here. And you know, I can put all my bios over here. I can drop research in here. I can work on this script. I can open a second script in the same window and split it. You know, and check these things. I find it exceptionally versatile. And I don't use you know ninety percent of what that program offers. I actually think it is a, a little bloated um there are so many elements available to 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 the user that i'm like i don't need half of this you know i wrote uh the first novel i ever wrote in scrivener was bravo prior to that i'd been writing you know microsoft word um but i wrote bravo in scrivener and 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 made you know different scrivener docs for each chapter and you know, and then ended up running compile and so on. And I found that that created a very different writing process for me. Um, that was a very different means of approaching it and uh, structurally helped the novel, I think, quite substantially, honestly. Um, which is not to say every novel is going to be written that way. Yeah. Um, but it worked really, really well. But in particular on comics projects, um, on Lazarus and on Black Magic, which starts in October, uh, Scrivener has been a lifesaver. Um, you know, where I'm dealing with multiple elements of world building, where I'm dealing with multiple characters, where I've got backstory and history and research, and to be able to have it all at hand when I'm working, um, you know, that allows me, uh, uh, personally, just allows me great freedom. Um, I, you know, for my long form work, I tend to outline in, in prose, I tend to, I tend to outline the novel, um, to some extent, uh, in some cases it'll be very detailed and others, it'll be much closer to sort of a, a, a broad stroke synopsis. And that is normally a document that I have printed beside me when I'm working so I can refer to it or ignore it as, as as the need demands. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I love, I love working in Scrivener though. Like I said, you know, again, I don't use it nearly, you know, in the way that there are so many aspects of it. I just don't use oh, the note card feature is my favorite. Yeah. And yeah. I love, I love the note cards, but 
I find the cards work very well in certain places. Yeah. In other places, I don't need them. Exactly. Um, I love being able to set up, you know, whole different files and be able to, you know, for Lazarus, here are all my, I've got, there's a section, all the families, all the named members of those families, little bios about them, sections on all the Lazarus, sections on, you know, uh, certain regions, what this city looks like, what that city looks like. And then, you know, you go further down and here's copy and here's, uh, the letter columns and then here are the scripts and here are different versions of the scripts and, and being able to iterate all that or be able to put the scripts in you know uh, uh, a folder where I've note carded out this, these are you know this is a five issue story these are what happens in the issues um, like again very quickly being able to jot down those notes uh, I love it Yeah, I really do it's such a great it, it's, it's a genius program and I don't yeah. understand why more people don't use it yeah, um, uh, it works beautifully well for me. What's the best advice somebody's ever given you? The best advice somebody's ever given me. Yeah, and I'm taking this seriously. I'm not going to be glib. Um, we're talking about working as a writer specifically right that's what you're at you know what's the best writing advice yes i, ever I mean just just as a as a profession you know in, in in your career what's the best advice somebody's given you i'm not sure there is one single piece i think it aggregates to uh a couple things right the first is that it is it is an act of discipline um, and and one must be disciplined to write you have to put your ass in the chair and you have to put the hours in um, if you don't it's not going to happen and if you sit around waiting for inspiration it's not going to come um, you know the muse the muse arrives when the muse sees that you've 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 set the table you know what I mean? The muse doesn't show up and go, hey, can I have something to eat? Um, you have to do the work. And you have to work hard at it. You have to treat it as a craft and treat it seriously. Um, so, so all of those, you know, all of those things come together. Writers write. That's the cliche. Uh, I will say that I think one of the things we see forgotten in that is that writers also read um, and they need to, you, you need to experience more. It isn't enough to want to write novels and only read novels. You know, you need to read plays and short stories and go to the theater and go to the movie. You know, if you want to write comics, you're not going to learn how to write good comics only from reading comics. You damn well better go out there and read some Hemingway. Figure out what makes a short story work. You can hate Hemingway, but you need to understand why there are people who love him. Um, this is not a terminal knowledge profession. This is a profession that requires constantly aspiring to be better than the thing you did before. Um... And there are rules that, of course, can easily be broken, but if you break them, you need to know why you're doing it, you know? 
I think, you know, the one way to piss off a professional writer faster than anything else is to look at them and say, oh, yeah, I wish I had the time to write. You know, <laughs> it's be like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I would kill you, but I don't want to do the jail time. Um, you know, this is not. I say it's a freaking job and you need to treat it with respect. Um, you have to treat it with respect. Well, and like, and as I said before, I think the, the other thing, the most important thing is you've got to be emotionally honest. You know, you've got to find the truth of what you're saying. Um, because without it, it's nothing. You know, without it, it's just performance. Writing is very in the moment, in the right now. And, you know, career-wise, you always have to, and being a freelancer, you have to look forward in the next six months, two years. You know, how do you prepare yourself for that? And how are you always, how are you able to balance between writing right now and writing for the future? Well, you know, I mean, the stuff that's in front of you is is the stuff that's right now. And, and, and that's always demanding attention. The... And I'm not sure I can speak for anybody else but myself in this. You know, one of the things that happens is that quality output creates opportunities for more quality output. Um, if you are doing the job well, then people will come to you and ask for more. And you will build relationships. And you will be able to find yourself in a place where you can turn around to somebody and say, hey, I would like to try this. Here's a proposal for this. Here's a submission for this. Here's a pitch for this. You know, I got invited to write the Han and Chewie novella because I had a relationship with the editor. And that relationship with the editor came about because he and I worked together for several years and he knew what I was capable of and he knew the quality of my work and he knew, you know, my level of professionalism. So I couldn't have planned that he was ever going to offer me the gig because there was no way I could know that he would ever be in a position to offer me that gig, right? Mm -hmm. But what I could do was take the jobs that he gave me and do them to the best of my ability. That is always, you know, going to be your best resume. Your completed work is always going to be your best audition. Um, so, you know, there are times when I, I'll look at the schedule and I'll go, there's a lull. I better, I, I need to find something. Uh, and where I am in my career now, uh, when those things occur, I tend to have a story I want to tell. And I tend to have places that trust me um, and, and, and therefore will give me the opportunity and, and, and a platform with which to tell it, right? I can go to Image and say, I have an idea, there's this story I want to tell is this, and the odds are Image is going to say, you know what, that sounds great. Uh, let's talk about scheduling. I can you know, go to Oni Press and, and more often than not get the same, same result. Um, for novels, for things like that, it's different um, because the my well, well my my positioning and my relationship with my publishers there are are different. Uh, you know, I have an agent for that, um, and you know, the luxury of having an agent is I can say this is the thing I want to do, 
and he can go out there and say, this is the thing he wants to do. Uh, and he can set that up. Um, but I am, you know, I mean, there was a period where I wasn't doing much. Right now I'm doing too much. <laughs> so the last thing I'm looking for is the next gig <laughs> right But now. do you feel like you have to balance that, though, between the I'm working too much and I'm working too little, and there's never really uh, that that perfect balance? Yeah. I have, I have yet to achieve that. I have yet to achieve that. <laughs> uh, I, am, I am hoping to, maybe by the end of this year, come closer. But right now there is always something else, and almost everything is running hot. And a lot of times things run hot through no fault of your own, you know, the, especially like I say, when you're working, you know, and work for higher environments and there's so much other material having to be dealt with, you know, the publishers dealing with, like I say, variables that you know nothing about. And then it trickles down to you and you're told, okay, well, we know it took three weeks to approve this. We need it by the end of the week. And you're like, oh, Jesus, guys, you know. <laughs> I got to drop everything and jump on this. That's what it is. And the expectation is, yes, that is exactly what it is. That is what we require. It's like, when do you need it? Last week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you can do everything right. God knows I have. And still, you know, it'll be somebody else. And a lot of time, the other people, you know, other people involved don't understand uh, the constraints. They don't understand what it is you're asking for, you know, or what they're asking for of you. Yeah. Um, so it is it is a challenge times. Last question. Yeah. In your your illustrious career, you've you've mm. had a pretty long one at this point. Yeah. yeah. What has been your proudest achievement? The one that you look back and go, This is what I can uh, hang my hat on. This is this is the the, uh, the, the, the one that I'm that, the most proud of. That's hard. That's genuinely hard because I am fortunate in that there's not a lot of my work that I look at and say I'm not in some way proud of that um, I will all there are certain stories I'm always going to look at and, 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 and be exceptionally proud to have taken a part of you know to have worked with the people I worked with to have, to have told the story I told I look at Gotham Central uh, as, as a total work and I'm incredibly proud of it I'm and I will never ever ever not be proud of the work that Michael Lark and I did on the Half-A-Life story arc. I look at the original Batwoman issues that J.H. Williams and I did, and I think that's some of the finest comic writing I've done. Um, I am extraordinarily proud of everything that we're doing, all of us, and I mean Trout, Eric Troutman, Michael Lark, uh, Santhi Arcas, uh, David Brothers, Jody Wynn, Tyler Boss, Owen Freeman, uh, David Macho, all of us who are involved in Lazarus, um, I think, I think we just keep making a better and better book with that one. Oh, yeah. uh, I can't wait for people to see Black Magic. You know, I can't wait for people to see Black Magic. I think what Nicola has done on the page uh, is just gorgeous. Uh, I think it's extraordinary. I look at I look at Ark, you know, with, with Gato Salve, and I'm very proud of the work we did. You know, I'm very proud of it. Are there warts, quite possibly. Could it have been better? Absolutely. I've yet to write anything that couldn't be better. It's an interesting I, way to look at it, for sure. Well, I but I just I I, I never I never will. You know, uh, there, there's a saying: don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. 
you know yeah. and and you can kill yourself chasing perfect you know there comes a time when you go you know there's another what hoary old chestnut no story is ever you know uh what is it no story is ever completed only abandoned you know and you reach a point where you know what you, you kind of look at it and you go this is the best i can do right now and i got to put it out there i got to let it go yeah. i got to let it go and i got to let it live wow uh, and suffer and, and and maybe perish you know i have written novels that i think are really really good novels that nobody's read you know so you mean in general like, like general public didn't read or just yeah, have yet to actually yeah, read mean, no no i mean it's just you know that didn't sell Man. you know that didn't get picked up and i can't explain it i can't explain it. i could be entirely wrong maybe they weren't good i think they were the publisher thought they were enough to publish them you know, but maybe they were going like, Christ, we just got to get this out. You know, I don't know. I see. I've always like, I kind of compare music and, and comic books in the same, you know, the artistry behind the two kind of similar. It's like, you know, but there's, there's the bands that put out a record and then the next record may not be as good. And, and sometimes they'll even look back and say, you know, we were just doing way too many drugs at the time and didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you always see that progression, you know, mm-hmm. of where the band, that, that, that band is going. I feel like sometimes writers are that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, ideally you should be able to look back over a body of work and see, you know, see how the writer changed. Yeah. Um, and, and God willing, you know, be able to see evidence that they, they, they learned and they got better. So. Do you feel like you're always getting better? No, but I know I'm always trying. That's, that's what matters the most, right? That's all I can do. <laughs> No, I mean, that's all I can do. Yeah. You know, every day I sit down and I try to make it better. Um, and some days I am more actively trying to make it better than others. But every day I am trying. Um, I mean, every day. So That's great. Great. I could, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, honestly. <laughs> and it's already been an hour. I don't want to take up any more time. So thank you, Greg. Yeah. Have a lovely day. You too. Thank you. You can follow Greg on Twitter. He's just at Rucka Writer. And while you're out there cruising around the internet, follow Eat Geek Play. We're just at Eat Geek Play on all your social medias. And make sure you go over to eatgeekplay.com forward slash Amazon to pick up some of Greg's best books and help out this website. If you don't feel like spending any money, but you want to help out the website, leave us a review on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you downloaded this podcast from. That'll really help us out.